Clint Arthur is a best-selling author and international speaker who has been featured on NBC, ABC, CBS and Fox. He is the creator of the Speaker Hall of Fame and has been hailed as the world's leading expert on how to become a successful public speaker. In this episode, Clint shares his journey to success, his advice for aspiring public speakers and his latest book, Wisdom of Men, how he went from taxi driver to working with global superstars and five US presidents, revealing all his secrets so you can do it too. When I met Mick Jagger, not as a taxi driver, but as a celebrity entrepreneur working, doing the work I do a few years ago, I said, Sir Mick, what's the most important thing you ever learned? He said, you can't always get what you want, but if you try, sometimes you find you get what you need. And I tell you, I did not want to be a taxi driver, but what I needed was money to pay my rent on my boat that I was living on and to pay my child support. I had to work, like I would work weekends as a taxi driver and I'd make $500 a weekend. And one of those weekends went to pay for child support. And one of those weekends went to pay for my rent and my gasoline for my car to get around town. So I was living on basically $1,000 a month for myself. And that's what I needed, see, because I was pursuing the Hollywood dream. I was trying to be a, a screenwriter and a movie star. And, you know, I didn't want to be a taxi driver. Believe me, I wanted to be a movie star, but Hollywood didn't want me. Yeah. And what was it about you that Hollywood didn't want? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, it was what it's not what it was about me. It's what it was that wasn't about me. See, I could have been just for the sake of argument, I could have been the greatest actor since Marlon Brando. And I could have been the greatest writer since William Shakespeare. But what I wasn't was somebody. See, I was nobody. And what Hollywood does not want is nobodies. Nobody in Hollywood is going to work in Hollywood so that they can work with nobodies. They're all there so that they can work with Tom Cruise or so that they can work with Paris Hilton or so that they could work with the great writers like J.K. Rowling. They're not there to work with taxi drivers. They're not looking to give anybody a break. And this was the most important thing. People say to me, Clint, do you regret the 13 years that you spent dedicating your life to trying to be a screenwriter and a movie star and getting nowhere in Hollywood? And I say, you know, it was not easy, but I don't regret it because as a result of that whole process, I began to learn the most important lesson that they don't teach you at the Wharton Business School. Have you ever heard of the Wharton Business School? No, but I saw you had a book that was What They Don't Teach You at the Wharton Business School, which kind of reminded me of that book, What They Don't Teach You at the Harvard Business School. So I'm assuming they're on you know, a similar level. Well, actually not, because what they don't teach you at the Harvard Business School was written by a guy who did not go to Harvard Business School. He went to Yale Law School and William & Mary College. But I did go to the Wharton Business School, and it is on the same level as the Harvard Business School. And my book is called What They Teach You at the Wharton Business School, because I actually went there. And so did Donald Trump and Elon Musk and Warren Buffett, just to name a few of the illustrious graduates from Wharton. But uh, what they don't teach you there is that who you are is more important than what you actually do or sell. 
That they don't teach you. And that's the lesson that I had to learn at Hollywood, in Hollywood. And, you know, it, it really is epitomized because when I went on the Today Show, which is the biggest morning show in America, all right? It's like Good Morning Britain, I guess. And when I went on that show, Brooke Shields interviewed me. Have you ever heard of Brooke Shields? Yes, very okay. famous. Very yes. good. And she is not the greatest interviewer in the world. She's not bad, but she's not the greatest. Yeah. Why would they pay her a lot of money to interview me? Mm. Because she's Brooke Shields. Yeah. They could have hired a million graduates of Columbia Journalism School who would have gladly done that job for free just to get the exposure. But those people are nobodies. Yeah. And you don't rise to the top of the entertainment business and then work with nobodies. That's not the whole point. The whole point yeah. is to work with people who are famous, who are somebody. That's what this whole thing is all about. Now, I know a lot of people may be watching this portion of the interview, and I really hope you just start this whole video right from where we were, starting with me showing the picture. You don't need to edit any of this stuff. This is like, I've done a million interviews on TV, yeah. on radio, on podcasts. I'm the most famous guy in the world that nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> and so I know what I'm doing, I'm, and, I'm, and this interview need not be edited, but they, they hire people like Brooke Shields because they don't want to work with nobodies. And that's really what this is all about. And, and I, that's why I don't regret the 13 years because I had to learn that lesson. And over that, the course of those 13 years, you know, you were obviously, you know, in the moment, living your life type thing, but you went from being a, a quote unquote nobody to now being, you know, a somebody, you know, having written 21 odd books and all that kind of stuff. How did you kind of go from being an, a nobody to a somebody? What, what did you do? And this would have been what, early 90s, I'm assuming? Yeah, well, I started, I started chasing the Hollywood dream in 1988. And, you know, that takes us all the way to December 31st, 1999, New Year's Eve of the millennium. Were you getting Y2K cash out of an ATM? Were you partying with family and friends? I was behind the wheel of yellow cab number 6087. In the back of the cab were these two guys who were MBA interns at Goldman Sachs. And I'm listening in on the conversation. Hey man, did you hear they made Mr. Carrera the last partner before the Goldman IPO and he cashed out a gazillion dollars? And I'm like, uh, you guys talking about Chris Carrera? How do you know Mr. Carrera? Chris Carrera was a pledge in my fraternity. And when I was the pledge master, I used to make those little punks dance around the living room of our fraternity house with their tidy whities on top of their heads. And now he just cashed out a gazillion dollars and he's not the only one. All my fraternity brothers from the Wharton Business School all became millionaires and billionaires. And I'm driving around on New Year's Eve. I go back to the, my little boat at the end of the night at six o'clock in the morning. I pull the cash out of my sock where I used to stash it. $513. I was supposed to be somebody special. Where's Chris Carrera tonight partying at the Rainbow Room? And that night I said, it's not worth it anymore. I am not going to continue to throw my life away chasing a dream that's never gonna happen. And I quit writing, I'm never gonna write again. I took all my screenplays, I threw them in a dumpster and burned them. And then I just focused on making money. I just wanted to have a normal life, I really did. I was terrified, I was never gonna be able to have a normal freaking life, you know, make some money, one day maybe buy a house 
and you know, meet a woman and have get married. Never, I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. I thought I had destroyed my whole life. And I, I just started focusing on making money. And I got out of taxi driving. I went into the gourmet food industry. And once I started making money, of course, I met an amazing woman who loved me, thank God, for me, not just for the money. And throughout the 2000s, I focused on selling gourmet food. And she encouraged me to get involved in real estate. I started as a hobby buying. I bought a teardown. I bought a fixer-upper. I bought a vacant lot. I bought two vacant lots, building houses throughout the 2000s, getting fat and happy. And by 2008, October, you know what was going on in the world. It was melting down. I was quite fat and happy. I was actually obese, 236 pounds. And my marriage was crumbling and I hadn't written a word in eight years. And I was at a men's self-help campfire because I was scared about what was going on in the world. And the shaman was on the other side of the yellow and orange crackling flames pointing at me. You don't know it yet, but you're already dead. Hey, what are you talking about, man? I'm the most successful guy on this freaking team. Eight years ago, I was a cab driver. Now I'm a millionaire. I was living on a little boat. Now I live in a mansion. Oh, you're already dead and you just don't know it. And I didn't know what the heck this guy was talking about, but I couldn't stop thinking about the words of the shaman. I'd wake up out of a sound sleep in the middle of the night. I'm already dead. What does he mean? And it came to be New Year's Day, 2009. And I asked myself a question inspired by the shaman. I said, you know, I don't really know. What does it really mean to be already dead? I feel like I'm alive, but what if I was going to die at the end of this year? What would be the things that I would want to accomplish if this was going to be the last year of my life? And, and you have a book question, called The Last Year. That came out of that question, okay? And I lived that year of 2009 as if I was going to die. And I brought my whole men's team on the journey with me. We all lived like we were going to die. And then in 2010, I wrote a book about it. And I led a whole group of strangers. I went on radio shows talking about this. And I recruited 120 strangers off the radio to do this with me on a teleconference every week. And that became a really powerful transformational thing. And when I was on the Today Show, Brooke Shields and Willie Geist, they're like, you know, you ask yourself a question every year, Clint, what's that question? And I said, ask yourself if this was going to be the last year of your life, what would you want to accomplish? That has become one of my superpowers that's helped me to accomplish so much so fast. And really, if you think about it, man, I, I tell you what, the way I got to meet the Rolling Stones and Mick Jagger was I got an email and it said, hey, if you donate $25,000 to the Rolling Stones' favorite charity, you can go to their concert in Europe and be a VIP at the party and meet the band and get the photo. And for me, a guy who used to live on $2,000 revenue per month, which donate, which came down to 1000 a month for me, to be able to donate $25,000 to, to a charity in order to meet the Rolling Stones for my business purposes, that's a freaking incredible thing. And I know all, all you people may be thinking, well, I, you know, it's, 
these ideas that you're talking about, Clint, they're, they're good for you. You're a writer, but I'm not a writer. I'm a business person, or I, I have a shop. I make, I'm, or I own a restaurant, or uh, I'm a plumber or a roofer. You know what? This isn't just about Hollywood. These ideas that I'm talking about are how any entrepreneur can stand out from all of your competition. Because if you think that people are going to buy what you sell because your product is better, then you just don't get it. Everybody thinks their product is better. Everybody thinks their service is the best. Everybody is trying, a a lot of people are trying to compete on price, which is just stupid, straight out stupid. You, the only price you should have is you should be the most expensive. You should be at the top of the price competition, not competing on price. You should be an obviously expensive solution because that's the way to go. And the only way to be able to justify that stuff is to add something intangible to the product that's not part of the obvious quality or product attributes of the product. And what should that be? That should be you. That should be your Steve Jobs, you know? iPhone, iPhone is not the best phone. Do you have iPhone, Sam? Of course I do. It's, course, it's not right? the best phone. It, it's not it's the, best the best phone. designed phone. <laughs> it's not the best camera. It's not, it's not the most. It's not the best. It's not any of that, but it's got something extra. And for many years, that extra part was Steve said it was awesome. If Steve Jobs said it was awesome, then that was good enough for me because I love Steve Jobs and I trusted Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs is a major tech celebrity. And if he said iPhone was the one, then I believed it. And that is what made iPhone and iPod and Mac and all of that stuff was Steve. Yeah. And so you're saying as an entrepreneur, if you're going to sell a product, or if you're going to have a business, have yourself in the, you know, in the center of that business, because that is something that nobody else can copy. No one else can be you. And it all comes down to you and your stories, the story, because your stories are you. You are your stories. I believe that if you want to understand the meaning of your life, you really got to understand the meaning of your life story. Mm. And you are that element that nobody else can have. Everybody else can have the widget that is the best turbo model. Everybody can have the same thing. Everybody can crack backs. Everybody can dispense medications. Everybody can cut hair. Everybody can cook pasta. Who's to say what's the best? But when you are a celebrity in the eyes of your customers and prospects, then you're higher status than your competition who is just some other guy or some other restaurant. You know, it kills me the restaurants that don't have a whole section on their website about the chef and how great the chef is. What, what is the real advantage of going to your restaurant if not the chef? So yeah. if you own a restaurant or if you own a dry cleaner or if you own a plumbing company, there should be a section about the owner who is what makes the difference between this business and the 50,000 other competitors who are trying to get the money from you, the customer. And that's the easiest and smartest way to compete. Yeah. And you've written so many books and I've only really glossed over a few of them. You know, you had The Last Year, you've got The Wisdom of Men, you've got other books, you know, the Wharton Business School book as well. I want to dive into those three books in particular, but I want to start out with the, The Last Year book. 
what did you do when you were living life like it was your last year? Most of my work as a leader and as a coach is informed by my activities in the men's self-help movement in California, where I took these seminars and I took leadership classes and I was the leader of a men's team. And our men's team became the enrollment team for the whole division, which is a whole organization of teams. And we were responsible for bringing more men in because we were such a successful team. And all the things that I learned about how to be a better man, because the whole purpose of all that men's work that we do is to identify and eliminate any barriers between you and the man you've always wanted to become so that you can live with total freedom as only a man can. That's what it's all about. And we would do rituals, we would do exercises, we would do all kinds of different activities that were designed to identify these barriers and help men to eliminate the barriers in, in your life between who you are and what you wanna be. So in the last year of your life, when I did it with my men's team, all of those things, all, all of those things were, were reorganized and rejiggered so that it would work for the last year of your life. And then I took a lot of that and I reworked it into the last year of your life experience, not just for men, but for men and women or anybody who wants to do it. And that's the thing. So there, there are exercises like just screaming out all of your hatred. That's one of the one of the most profound exercises. You just stand in the middle of nowhere. I got, there's a video when I did the last year of your life book, and then there's another book called the greatest book of all time, which is the last year of your life experience, including audios and videos that I created for each of the 52 weeks of the experience. It's like having me as your coach through the whole thing on video and audio, and you'll see there's a video of me in the middle of the desert screaming at a cactus, like all the hatreds that I had, all the resentments, because, you know, resentment is a poison pill that you take thinking that it's going to kill the other person, but actually it's killing you. That's what resentment does. And this exercise of screaming out your hatred for all the people who've done you wrong or stolen from you or, or hurt you or in any way, you just feel resentment and hatred. You just scream it all out at, at, at some cactus or whatever that may be for you. That's one of the activities that we would do. Yeah. And what would be, so I'm assuming that's kind of early into the journey so that you're kind yeah. of breaking the barrier. What would happen like in the middle and at the end, just, just so, you know, the listener kind of has an idea of what the best year of your life yeah. kind of looks like in another another. Another good one is you have to go up to a stranger and start talking to a stranger. And this is to help you to overcome your fear of meeting people and of talking to strangers, because a lot of people have that. Another ex example would be that you have to go and eat a meal in a restaurant by yourself. A lot of people have a hard time with that. I know I did when I was younger. That was, you know, that was one of the things that I did in my life that I was very uncomfortable with. The whole thing, like Brooke Shields says, she goes, you talk a lot about getting comfortable, being uncomfortable in your comfort zone. And that's really where it's at. I said, yeah, life begins where your comfort zone ends. And she said, that sounds scary. And I said, 
when it's scary is when it's great. And I have learned in my life over and over and over that when it's scary is when it's great. That's when life is getting the best. And, you know, right now I'm in Acapulco, Mexico. I basically am living in Acapulco, Mexico. Since the pandemic began, I said to my wife, hey, you know, we were at Tony Robbins' 60th birthday party. You know who Tony Robbins is? Of course I do. Big of tall course. guy, claps a bit strange because he clapped too much and he's hurt his hands. Voice is ruined, had mercury poison because he ate too much tuna. I know a lot about Tony Robbins, yeah. You, you think everybody knows who Tony Robbins is, right? Yeah. You think so? I think a lot of people do, especially if you're into self-help and wellness. If you're trying to improve yourself, you would know who Tony Robbins is at least. You know who Tony Robbins is? Yeah. I showed you his picture. You recognize him? Yeah. You thought you knew who he was, right? You have no idea. Okay. The younger no, generation have no clue who Tony Robbins is. Here's another one. Robbins is. Hey, anybody here know who Tony Robbins is? Do you? No. Do you know who he is? Do you know who Tony Robbins is? No? How about you? You know who he is? Nobody. Now you may be thinking, oh, that's just the wrong demographic. Okay. And you're kind of right. It is the wrong demographic. You know what the right demographic is? The right demographic is a person who is interested in personal development, a person yeah. who is aspirational. Most people in the world are not aspirational. They are motivated by avoiding pain. Their main goal is to... Hey. What do you think of Tony Robbins? You know who he is? No. Who fucks that guy? <laughs> no, really. Do you know who he is? Y'all know who he is? Those are two iron workers I met at a, yeah. at a construction site. They're not interested in anything other than getting to lunch or clocking out at the end of the day and going to have drinks. That's what they're interested yeah. in. They're not aspirational like you and me. And this is an example of celebrity entrepreneurship. Tony Robbins is what I call a celebrity entrepreneur. That's what I am. That's what he is. We are famous in the eyes of customers and prospects. And you can do this if you're a dry cleaner, if you're a plumber, if you're a chef, if you're any kind of entrepreneur, that should be your goal to be so famous that there's no other choice of who they're going to go to. They have to go to you. Mm. So when the pandemic was beginning, I was, I was on a speaking tour. Because one of the techniques that you use as a celebrity entrepreneur is to be a speaker. Not just, I'm not a salesman. I'm not a salesman. I'm a speaker and an author. That's what I am. Yeah. But really, what do I do is sell all day long. Yeah, you're okay? selling yourself. I, I'm selling my, my books, my courses, my seminars, my trainings, my vacation villa. I'm selling all kinds of stuff all day long, but I'm not a salesman anymore. I'm an author and a speaker and a coach. So in any case, I'm on this eight city speaking tour. And the third city was Los, was, um, Las Vegas. And while I'm in Vegas, I get an email from Tony Robbins team. And it says, Hey, if you donate $25,000, where's that number again? $25,000. <laughs> donate $25,000 to Tony Robbins favorite charity you can be the host of his 60th birthday party in Los Angeles on mm. February 29th, leap year. Yeah. That's him. So it took me one minute to press the button and donate the 25,000. This is the guy who used to make 500 a week and live yeah. off a thousand a month. And I've been able to go to a point where I can 
donate 25,000. I'm so grateful for this because Tony has meant so much to me and has helped me so much. And I said to him that night, I said, Tony, when I was a taxi driver, I could not afford to buy the CDs of Personal Power 2. I had to buy the audio cassettes because they were $30 cheaper. And today I was sitting in the front row here at your party hosting it. And he goes, I'm so happy it all worked out for you, man. And he gave me a big kiss on the cheek and gave me a hug. And I said, Tony, what's the most important thing you ever learned? He said, life is happening for us. Yeah. See, all that stuff. Do you resent chasing the Hollywood dream for 13 years? Hey, man, that was all happening for me. Mm. Do you resent the pandemic? Actually, no, because after that night, all the rest of my speaking engagements got canceled because of the pandemic. And I said to my wife, hey, look, we're going to have to do two weeks to slow the spread. Do you want to do that at our apartment in Midtown Manhattan on the 13th floor? Or do you want to go to Los Angeles and stay in one of our lofts? Or do you want to rent a house in Arizona or Florida? Or do you want to go to our favorite vacation resort in Acapulco, Mexico, and we'll just lock ourselves in the suite and order room service? So that's obviously what we did. And while we were here, Two weeks to slow the spread turned into an indefinite amount of time of lockdown. So I started renting us different villas. And when we moved out of the hotel into a villa, you have to understand, Acapulco at that time, we stopped going to Acapulco for three years because it was the most dangerous city in the world. Yeah. And here we were because it was, you know, the rest of the world was shut down. I didn't think it was dangerous. We go to Acapulco and I rent the first house and the first house doesn't even have a front door. You just walk up the steps and you're in the outdoor living room. You're in the outdoor (laughs) dining room. There's the garden and the pool. And the the bedrooms have these little sliding deadbolts that are like an eighth of an inch thick, right? You could easily kick in the door. And and the night before, I got scared. I really did. I, I, if I could have gotten a refund, I checked. Can I get a refund in this? No, it's not refundable. You're checking in tomorrow. I paid a lot of money to rent that house for a month. And I checked, can you buy a gun in Mexico? You know, I was afraid. No, you can't buy a gun. It's against the law to own a gun except for protecting your home. If you don't have a special license from the military, you go to prison. Many American hunters learn that lesson the hard way by arriving in Mexico with guns for hunting trips when they're not allowed to have them. So we go and we check in. And as soon as we walked in, We looked at each other, my wife and I were like, what the hell have we been doing in the hotel all these years when we could have had a beautiful villa with our own big pool and a big garden for our dog and our own cook and our own maid and a big lot of space. Two weeks to slow the spread turned into four and a half months in Acapulco. And by the time we left, we had an accepted offer on our first villa that we bought. And it's a huge, beautiful, amazing place. And I swear to God, every day that we're here, I say to my wife, wow, we're so lucky that the pandemic happened and life was happening for us because now we live in paradise. Whereas before we were just like, just too focused on, you know, grinding it out. And I I got this one friend, I, I talk about him a lot. I don't name him. He's like 60 something years old, multi, multi millionaire. And I saw him post on Facebook the other day, Monday morning, rise and grind. And I really Mm. felt like sending him a message. Dude, you are too old, too fat, and too rich to be rising and grinding on Monday mornings. What the hell are you doing? It's got to be, life has got to be about more than rising and grinding. And the great news is, is that when you're a celebrity entrepreneur, you really don't have to rise and grind anymore. 
And you've got a lot of celebrity friends or had a lot of encounters with a lot of celebrities. You know, you've mentioned you've mentioned uh, people like Tony Robbins, you've mentioned Mick Jagger, but on your website, you've got pictures with people like Oprah, Chris Rock, you know, you mentioned Robert Downey Jr. How are you getting in and around all these celebrities? Like what, what is, you know, what, what is driving you to be around them so much and share stages with them? Well, Robert Downey Jr. went to eighth grade with me when I was 13 years old. He just was in my class. And he was the star of one of the junior high school plays called Hair. And I was the star of another play that we did that year called West Side Story. And because we were both the stars of the plays, we became friends. And, you know, it's a very interesting way, the way his life interwove with mine. Because we, when we were friends, we went to a movie. And after the movie, we went to go get a falafel sandwich. As we're walking through Greenwich Village, he ducks into a candy store and comes out with a pack of Marlboro Reds. And he takes one and lights it up. And then he holds up the pack right here and he crushes the pack of cigarettes and throws it on a pile of garbage. And I'm like, huh? And he goes, I just wanted one. <laughs> now, he, that shows you how much willpower Robert Downey Jr. had when he was a kid. But willpower is not enough. As we all know, as he got older, his drug addictions put him in jail. And he almost lost his whole movie career. But then he came out of jail and he was lucky enough to get hired to be the star of a movie by a woman named um, Susan Levine. And who is Susan Levine? Well, Susan Levine used to work for my wife. My wife was the president of a production company in Hollywood, and every production company has what's called the development girl. The development girl reads all the scripts that guys like me were writing and tells the executives why those scripts suck and why they shouldn't buy them. And after you become a development girl for a long time, then some people can become producers. She became a producer. She hired Robert Downey Jr. to be on her movie and star in her movie. They started dating. She became Mrs. Robert Downey Jr. And she turned him into Iron Man. She turned him into Sherlock Holmes. She did that. And it really goes to show you that like when I was with, you know, the people before my wife, there was one life. But when I got together with my wife, my life became like on a, on a higher track because we were both committed to the same agenda. And when you're with the wrong person, like I, I have a daughter who's 27 years old. Her mom kicked me out of the house when she was one years old because I was a taxi driver and her career yeah. was going gangbusters and she didn't want to be weighed down by a loser like me. Yeah. So she kicked me out. And when I got out of that two and a half year relationship, it was like I was set free from prison. And then when I got into this wonderful relationship I've been in with my wife now for 20 years, it's been paradise the whole time because we have one focused agenda. And I believe that that's what Robert Downey Jr. has with Susan Levine, his wife. And it it's really shows you how important it is to have the right person in bed with you. When you're in bed with that person night after night after night, pillow talk, talking about dreams and ideas, either they're going to tell you you're an idiot and you suck like baby's mama did to me. Or they're going to tell you, you're awesome, you're a genius, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard of, like my wife does. And here I am today living the dream with my wife, and Robert Downey Jr. is living his dream with his wife, because you got to be with the right person. Yeah. 
and being with the right person, obviously you said she, she led you to buying property and, you know, make, make more from your money than you, you already had. But for me, I'm just trying, I'm just trying to piece together the parts that have kind of led you to like where you're at now. And so for me, what I would want to know is, you know, you've written your most recent book is called the wisdom of men. So what is the wisdom of men and how can the listener, you know, whether they're male or female or whatever in between, how can they embody the wisdom of men? Okay. Well, look at all the names, you know, there's so many big names on this book. And this is the story of how I went on there. Yeah. How I went from being a a loser in Hollywood, driving a cab to working with international superstars and five presidents of the United States and all these giant people, you know, Evander Holyfield, uh, the most interesting man in the world, Caitlyn Jenner, Hillary Clinton, Suzanne Summers, Ringo Starr, Grant Cardone, Patch Adams, you know, Dave Asprey, Dr. Raz, Eli Manning, all these people. How did that all happen? Well, that's what's in this book. And every one of them, I ask, what's the most important thing you ever learned? Like Oprah, I, you know, I, I've been really lucky, you know, you ask me, how do you meet all these people? I've been really blessed in that I met a few amazing ones early on. Like in addition to Robert Downey Jr., in high school, I elected to take a creative writing class with a man who was completely nobody at the time, but he went on to write a book called Angela's Ashes, which won the Pulitzer Prize for his memoir about his impoverished childhood in Ireland. His name was Frank McCourt, and he inspired me and everybody to become writers. Now, who, you know, how do you predict that your nobody high school creative writing teacher is going to win a Pulitzer Prize? You can't. How do you know that, you know, in addition to Robert Downey Jr., another kid from my junior high school was named uh, John Cryer. John Cryer starred in a TV series with Charlie Sheen called Two and a Half Men, which is a huge, huge series in the United States. How come those guys had giant careers, but I didn't, you know? How how did I meet these people? I, I don't know. But I've, I've gone on. And then when I was in college, my roommate in college, you know, here's the thing you can never predict. The kid I hated the most in my entire fraternity was a kid named Evan Copelson. And I hated him because all he wanted to do was smoke pot and watch soap operas. I swear to God, I'm in an Ivy League college and that's all the kid does. And I hated him. But because of the chance... Of, of light, of you know, drawing cards, actually. You have to pick a card to see who's going to pick the rooms. And he and I were left, and we were the only ones who didn't have roommates. So we had to be roommates with each other in the fraternity. Well, his father was a movie producer. And he, in 1987, he won the Academy Award for Best Picture for his movie Platoon. And then he mm. produced Falling Down with Michael Douglas. And then he produced The Fugitive with... Harrison Ford, and then he produced The Devil's Advocate with Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino, and then Seven with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, and then a $100 million movie for Warner Brothers called Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was the king of Hollywood, this guy. And that's really how I got interested in Hollywood. That's why I became a screenwriter and wanted to be a movie star because I saw my friend's father who I used to smoke pot with, okay? Who I would sleep, I would stay at his house. You know, he was just Arnold to me. 
And when I went on vacation, like I had one job in Hollywood. I started dating my best friend's sister. Ev's sister was named Stephanie. I started dating her. When I started dating her, then Arnold offered me a job to be a production assistant on his movie Firebirds with Nicolas Cage and Tommy Lee Jones and Sean Young. It was about Apache attack helicopters. It was like Top Gun for helicopters. And I'm there literally making cappuccinos and sweeping the floors on this movie. And it came to be Christmas break in the movie production. And the mother says to me, hey, why don't you come to Acapulco with us for Christmas? All you have to do is buy an airplane ticket. We'll take care of everything else. And I did. And that's how I came to Acapulco. And when I arrive at the airport, there's Arnold Copelson, the Academy Award winning producer, all by himself, waiting to pick me up at the airport in a Jeep. And that was my introduction to Los Angeles. That was my introduction to Acapulco. And that was my introduction to celebrity entrepreneurship because I assure you, not one person in your audience has ever heard the name Arnold Copelson before, but he was the king of Hollywood. Mm. He made 29 feature yeah. films for studios, grossing more than $3 billion in box office back in the 80s and 90s, which was a lot of money back then. And even though nobody knew who he was, you know who did know who he was? Al Pacino and Michael Douglas and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Keanu Reeves, they all knew who he was. And the yeah. studio heads knew who he was because they paid him millions of dollars to produce the movies for him. And the managers and agents at the top agencies, they knew who he was. Maybe 300 people in the whole freaking world really knew who he was. But that's mm -hmm. the power of celebrity entrepreneurship. When you're a celebrity in the eyes of your customers and prospects, you can become the king of Hollywood, even though nobody knows who you are. Yeah. So for you, I guess there's a whole bunch of tips, tricks, kind of little things you've picked up from all these people you've been around. And you've kind of put them into phrases and things so i've got one here which is a golden balloon can you explain to me and the listener what a golden balloon is and how we can get one maybe <laughs> i never heard it put like that but that's a great that's a great way to put it you do want a golden balloon a golden balloon and this is a great question this is what you need as an entrepreneur you need to create a beautiful image of who you are and what you're all about a gorgeous, shining golden balloon floating through a brilliant blue sky. And what you don't want to do is pop the golden balloon. See, I know how I met Oprah, okay? I know how I met John Travolta. I know how I met uh, Martha Stewart and Dr. Oz. I know every single thing involved in each of those meetings and the interactions. And what I do when I tell the stories is I just paint the golden balloon. So for example, when I met Oprah, I asked her, what's the most important thing you ever learned, Oprah? And she said, you are responsible for your own success. Now, I don't tell all the other parts of the story. I just tell the salient parts of the story because with a golden balloon, what happens is your job as an entrepreneur is to paint this picture of the golden balloon and by telling about the great things that you've done and allow the audience, your prospects and your clients and customers to put on it whatever ideas that they want to put on it. And they're always going to embellish. Like when you're thinking of me and Oprah, 
You're probably thinking about me on her show, although I never said I was on her show. Yeah. You're probably thinking about about um, me having dinner with her or long conversations, although I never said I had dinner or a long conversation with her. All I did was I told you the most important thing and I allow you to project and make up your own stories because people will always make up their own stories. Now, how do I know people will always make up their own stories? One of my early mentors, he had a phrase that he always used to say. This is another phrase that I talk about. It's called the million dollar positioning statement. And his million dollar positioning statement was, I've had the great privilege to share my message on the same stage as Richard Branson and the Dalai Lama at great corporations like GE, Accenture, and Amazon. And I thought to myself two things. Number one, I thought, wow, Dalai Lama, Branson, I could never even get on the stage as this guy, let alone Branson. Meanwhile, I started doing television appearances and 18 months later, after that first time I heard him say that, I was the next speaker on a stage following that exact mentor. So, you know, that that quickly got handled in my own mind. But the second thing I thought was, holy cow, GE, Amazon, this guy must be really smart if he's getting hired to be a speaker at Amazon and at GE. I didn't know what Accenture was, but I figured because it was in the middle of GE and Amazon, it must be something good. That's all I knew. But the other thing I thought was, if he's getting hired by GE and Amazon, and by the way, he never said he got hired. He said he had the great privilege to share his message at GE, Accenture, and Amazon. I looked at his bio on LinkedIn. He used to work at Accenture as a consultant for six years. That was a whole different idea than what I had in mind. I thought he was hired as a speaker. He didn't say it. He said, I've had the great privilege to share my message at GE, Accenture, and Amazon. I figured he was getting hired to come in as a speaker for one hour and getting paid at least $25,000. Where did I get that number from? I just made it up in my mind. Yeah. That's because that's what great speakers get, smart speakers. I figure if you're speaking at big corporations as a keynote speaker, you got to get paid at least $100,000. i am just making all this stuff up in my mind. Yeah. And the next thing I know is he's offering us the opportunity to join his mastermind for only $10,000. And you know what? I did. Yeah. So I know how this stuff works. He created the golden balloon. And in my mind, I saw the golden balloon. He didn't say, I had the great privilege to share my message at GE Accenture, where I was a consultant for four years, and Amazon. How much did he make as a consultant for four years at, G- at, at, at Accenture? How much did he make? I don't know, $50,000 a year, $100,000 a year. That's way different than being a speaker there and getting paid $25,000 for an hour like I imagined that he was yeah. doing. That's the golden balloon. And he didn't pop the golden balloon. He painted the picture of the golden balloon. I put all the ideas on the golden balloon And luckily for me, he painted that golden balloon because I'll tell you what, that mentor taught me a whole lot that has enabled me to have the life that I have today. And I'm very grateful to have had him in my whole personal development and professional development because, man, I I learned a lot of stuff from that guy. The 10,000 I gave him was worth it many, many times over. Thank God for the golden balloon. Yeah. And with the idea of the golden balloon is is that you can do more be more and have more. So how do you kind of get from the golden balloon, you know, seeing it and, you know, going, oh, wow, golden balloon to kind of getting to that, you know, do more, be more, have more side of life. Another celebrity entrepreneur 
that I've learned a lot from is Grant Cardone. You know who that is? Of course. Property billionaire. Absolutely amazing of salesman. Of course, right? Grant Cardone. Well, I had the great privilege to share the stage with Grant Cardone. You know, I was a speaker at the same conference as him. I said, Grant, what's the most important thing you ever learned? He said, he said, your biggest problem as an entrepreneur is that nobody knows who you are. Then I had him on my radio show. I had a radio show on 77 WABC radio in New York City for three years. And I had him on as a guest. And I said, is there anything different you would have done in your career? And he said, I would have spent more money sooner on marketing. So the first part of what you said was you got to do more, be more and have more. If you want to have more, see, all of my career has been reverse engineering everything. If you want to have more, you got to do more. That's what Grant Cardone is saying. I would have done more marketing earlier. I would have spent more money on marketing sooner. Well, what is marketing? Well, marketing is going on TV. Marketing is speaking at very important places. Marketing is meeting celebrities. Notice I talk about celebrities. I talk about TV. I talk about speaking. These are part of, of being a celebrity entrepreneur. And you need to do all of those things if you want to be who you want to become so that you can have all the things that you want to have. And that's exactly how all of that works. And, you know, you can do a lot of stuff. Like when I was chasing the Hollywood dream, I was doing a lot of stuff in my own head but not in reality. And unfortunately, in order to be able to do all the stuff that you want, you gotta be more than you've already been so that you can have what you wanna have. Lovely. And with your book, there's, a, there's another thing that I picked up in your book. There's this idea of the challenge coin. What, what is a challenge coin? How do we use a challenge coin? You know, I, I'm really curious. Okay. Well, I've, I've done a lot of stuff. You know, I do a lot so I can be more and have more. And one of the things that I've done is I've met a lot of generals and admirals because I want to meet leaders. And mm. when you meet these generals and admirals, a lot of times they will give you what's called a challenge coin. It's like a, the size of a silver dollar, the old size silver dollar, big coin, big coin. And it would usually have their rank and some kind of insignia on it. And the way it works is, I don't know how the military uses it. It's like a drinking game kind of a thing. But in any case, I got one of these challenge coins from an admiral and I thought, wow, that would make a really cool business card. So I made my own little challenge, I made my own challenge coins, right? And the fascinating thing is that right. I put my picture on it because for me, it was a business card. I thought it would be a great business card. And I got them made in China, although today I won't do anything with China anymore. I'm anti-China. I won't buy any Chinese stuff. So if I were okay. to get these in America, you know, they would have cost a lot more. But I got these and they were like $1.75 a piece mm. 10 years ago. And yeah. on the front, it says freedom, power, and adventure. And that mentor that I was talking about, who spoke with Branson in the Dalai Lama, he said, 
what would be your three words that are what you're really all about? Hey, my, my whole life is about freedom, power, and adventure. Freedom to do whatever I want. Power to make it all happen. And the adventure is the kind of life I, I like to live, a life of adventure, doing all different stuff, putting myself out there, taking risks, traveling the world. Living in Mexico is an adventure all to itself. Really, it is. And those three words are still the same that I would have. The only difference is, notice it says on the coin, entrepreneur. The last question he asked was, yeah. if there's any search term on Google, on Google that you could dominate, what would you want to dominate? And I wrote down entrepreneur. Well, it's interesting because I always knew that that was too big of a, of a goal. Who you know Who's going to be dominating the search term of entrepreneur and how does that really help you? But if you put in celebrity entrepreneur into Google, I will come up. I will come up pretty. I have a first page listing on Google for the term celebrity yeah. entrepreneur. And if you think about how I'm competing against all the biggest celebrities in the world, George Clooney and Kim Kardashian and Donald Trump, I'm showing up on Google for the search term that they're showing up for. And it means something completely different. Like, you know, to all of Google, the term celebrity entrepreneur means celebrities who are entrepreneurs, but that's not what I mean at all. I've invented this whole new category of entrepreneur, which is a celebrity entrepreneur, not because they're a celebrity who became an entrepreneur, but because you're an entrepreneur who does the same things that celebrities do in order to be seen as a celebrity by your customers and prospects so that you can get the best clients so you can get the highest fees and prices, so you can take all the vacation you want, so you can live the life of your dream and have the impact, influence, and income that others can only dream about. That's what being a celebrity entrepreneur is all about. And I wrote about that in Wisdom of the Men. And if you haven't read it yet, if you like audiobooks, I did the audiobook myself. If you've enjoyed this interview, you'll probably enjoy listening to Wisdom of the Men on Audible on the Audible version, which I subscribe to Audible, and I I always have credits clocking up. I have a whole stack of credits I've, I can't use because I'm really not that interested in so many of the books that come out these days, but I'm still a member of Audible. If you've got unused credits, crack one off and get my Audible of Wisdom of the Men. You'll definitely like it. Lovely. I'm so glad that you defined the term celebrity entrepreneur because the whole time we were talking, I was trying to piece it together myself and I was a bit like, I think I understand what it is because, you know, the two words are very polarizing. People want to be celebrities or people want to be entrepreneurs, but smashing them together, you go, ah, oh, right. I, I see the vision and it makes sense that you can float between both worlds of, you know, the people that are famous and the people that are making big money. But your idea is that you want to be able to make the most money possible by being, you know, the famous person in say the marketing world or you know even in let's say the building business it, it makes perfect sense to me but one thing but i'm not famous but i'm not famous this is a really important thing that you got to understand sam is that i will never be famous and neither yeah. will you whoever you are listening to this you're never going to be famous and i had an uber driver say to me one time he was taking me from atlanta airport to CNN Center for one of my celebrity launchpad conferences where I teach people how to book themselves on TV news and talk show interviews on local TV. Mm. Not on national TV, but on local TV, which is yeah. just as good as national TV, but a whole lot easier to make happen. Like, I don't know how to be a movie star, but I can tell you how to book yourself on TV news and talk shows. I have a mathematical formula for how to make it happen. 
Yeah. So I'm talking on my phone and I hang up the call and the Uber driver actually says to me, excuse me, I couldn't help but overhear your phone conversation. And the way you talk, you sound like you're somebody famous. Are you famous? I just don't recognize you. And I go, I'm the most famous guy in the world that nobody's ever heard of. Only my clients <laughs> and prospects think that I'm famous. And he goes, wow, it sounds like you really have the best of both worlds because as an Uber driver of a limousine, you know, it was Uber black, of course. And as an Uber black driver, I drive a lot of celebrities and I often hear them complaining that they lose their privacy, they can't go out in public, they have paparazzi chasing them, that it's no fun being a celebrity. But if you have the benefits of being a celebrity, but not the downside of losing your privacy, then you have the best of both worlds. And that's really the key element of celebrity entrepreneurship. Don't ever think you're gonna be famous. I'm, I, I am 100% nobody in the eyes of the yeah. general public, but in the eyes of my clients, they wanna pay me a lot of money because they're excited to work with me. That's what it's all about. Well, Clint, you've asked this question to you know people that are way richer than me, way more famous than me. And like you said, people that are more famous than yourself and you claim to be not famous, but I'd like to ask you this question just to see what your answer is. And the question I wanna ask you is, what is the most important thing that you've learned it's 100% the meaning of my life, you know? Who you are is more important than what you actually do or sell. The only thing that you should do as an entrepreneur is work on the marketing of who you are, building up the perception that you are somebody special in the eyes of customers and prospects. It's gonna help you not just in business, but in every area of, of your life. It'll help you with family and friends, and getting what you want and getting to know the people that you want. It'll It'll bring better people into your life who are more involved and engaged in their own lives. It's not gonna change you, it's just going to make you be more of who you really are. And most importantly, it's gonna change the way you think of yourself and what you're able to accomplish. If I had not become the celebrity entrepreneur that I am, I never would have been able to make all of these things happen, like meeting all these people, speaking at Harvard and Oxford and Cambridge and the London Stock Exchange and NASDAQ and West Point and going on 117 TV appearances so far, all none of this would have been possible. I never would have been able to have the life that I that I live now, where I'm just, you know, living in paradise every day with my beautiful wife of 20 years. And, you know, we have two houses here that we're blown away with. We have two cars that we're crazy about. We have each other and our amazing dog, and we're just doing whatever we want. And all of that was made possible by the tremendous investment of time, energy, and money that I made in becoming the celebrity entrepreneur that I am today, which was a deliberate strategy. I, you know, when I had done like 15 television appearances early on, my wife calls up my best friend from high school and she goes, why does Clint keep going on TV? Isn't his ego big enough? And luckily, I had outlined the strategy to my best friend from high school. I said, I'm going to become a guru. I'm going to make people think that I'm famous, and they're going to pay me a lot of money to be their coach. And that's exactly what I set out to do. I, I tell you what, it's not all glamour. There's been many, many mornings where I got up at 4.30 in the morning. For example, when I was on Fox Business Channel, my second time. I got up so early because I wanted to be amazing on that show. I was staying at the Sheraton Hotel on 52nd and 7th Avenue in Midtown Manhattan. That's the top business hotel for, you know, entrepreneurial business executives like me, 
like a million guys like me were staying at the Sheraton. And I, I got up at four o'clock in the morning for my 7.30 appearance on TV. And I went up to the club lounge to start drinking coffee and rehearsing. And I was the only person in the club lounge at, in morning in New York City, the city that never sleeps, the city where everybody goes to beat the world. I was the first one up beating the world. And you know, it sounds great, but it's not glamorous when you gotta set the alarm for four o'clock in the morning. It's been many years of hard work, but I'll tell you what, it beats driving a taxi. Where can the people find you online? Clint.com, C-L-I-N-T-T-T. Why three T's, Clint? One of my ex, like I work with all kinds of authors, speakers, coaches, nonfiction authors, anybody who's an expert. One of my expert clients was the inventor of the science of nameology. What does your name really mean? And she said to me one day, Clint, I wish you would add a T to the end of your name because the T's always end up on top, like Trump. And I couldn't get Clint with two T's.com, but I did get Clint with three T's.com. And it's nice and easy to remember, easy to go to. Just go to Clint with three T's.com. You can see everything there. Hopefully you'll come to one of my seminars down in Acapulco. Stay in the luxury of my world-class luxury villa where we do the seminars and uh, get out of your freaking comfort zone. Come to Acapulco and change your life and become a celebrity entrepreneur. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend. 